0: seated this morning, good singing together, and uh, I'm just so glad our governor reminded us last week the importance of singing in church, making sure that we do it. And so Nehemiah chapter number five this morning, Nehemiah chapter number five, and uh, we've been in the book of Nehemiah now for a while. Last week we took a little break, and we're back here today, basically going through a chapter a week, so you can kind of get an idea when we'll get through the book of Nehemiah, and uh, we'll get through here before too long. A little bit of review I want to give you as we dive in this morning. We saw in chapter number one that Nehemiah, one of his friends, a brother, went down to Jerusalem, saw the city, and Nehemiah said, how's Jerusalem doing? So the people are in great affliction. The wall's still not up. It's not very good. We see that Nehemiah, he prayed, he fasted, he went before God, and he prepared to go before the king to ask the king leave to go and help rebuild the wall in Jerusalem in chapter number two Nehemiah goes before the king he prays a little prayer talks to the king the king says go ahead and go gives him a gift card to Home Depot and says get all the wood you need all of that to take care of everything it will all work out just fine he goes late at night views the city sees the wall and he gets an idea how he's going to piece things together chapter number three we see the work begins you have all these different groups of people. An amazing sight to see is all these different people working with one another. And as they're working together, some of them did extra work, some of them did no work. And some of them just did their little spot and left. Some did extra work and helped others. But the wall was getting built. This was an exciting thing. And as the wall was being built and as things started to happen, then persecution started arising. We looked at chapter number four and we saw how Samballot, Tobiah, and others, ah, look at that wall they're building. If a fox were to run on that wall, it's going to knock it down. They think they're going to build this by worshiping their God and all this? It's never going to work. Chapter number four, the people got discouraged. We see Judah ends up saying, how are we supposed to build the wall with all this rubbish around us? And Nehemiah encouraged them in the Lord and they got back to work. Well, we get to chapter number five, and there's new problems. Anytime you do work for God, and when you're busy doing the work of God, there's always going to be problems. Mark it down. Check the box. It's going to happen. If you thought that this life is just going to be a piece of cake and you're never going to have issues, you got it all wrong. Sometimes I think Christians think, oh, I get saved and nothing bad's ever going to happen to me. God never promised that. I don't know where we get that idea. Storms will come. Tough times will come. And just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that life is always just going to be great, wonderful. Woo-hoo! There's going to be a lot of down moments. The promise is, though, that God will be with you all the way through. When thou walkest through the waters, I will be with thee. That's the promise. So life is never promised to be easy. The promise is that as life is tough, and even when it's easy, he's right there with us to guide us along the way. Opposition came on the outside, but now this turns from outer enemies to discouragement to fighting amongst the people. Strife. Look at chapter 5, verse number 1. And there was a great cry of the people and of their wives against their brother and the Jews. For there were that said, we are sons and our daughters are many. Therefore we take up corn for them that we may eat and live. Some also there were that said, we have mortgaged our lands, vineyards and houses. That we might buy corn because of the dearth. And there were also that said, we have borrowed money for the king's tribute. And that upon our lands and vineyards... For now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children. And lo, we bring into bondage our sons and our daughters to the servants. And some of the daughters are brought unto bondage already. Neither is it in our power to redeem them. For our men have our lands and vineyards. Now look at verse 6. I like this. And I was very angry when I heard their cry against these, wor- and these words. Then I consulted with myself and I rebuked the nobles and the rulers and said unto them, You exact usury every one of his brother, and I set a great assembly against them. Say, Pastor, what in the world just went on right there? I'm going to explain to you this morning. But we see the key to this passage starts right away. Look at verse 1. There was a a great cry of the people and of their wives against their brethren, the Jews. The fighting had started amongst the people. I've been told that when a group of thoroughbred horses faces an enemy attack, they stand in a circle facing each other and with their back legs kick out the foe. I've heard that donkeys, on the other hand, do just the opposite. They make a circle and face the threat while using their hind legs to kick at each other. And a lot of Christians are a lot more like donkeys than they are like thoroughbred horses. A lot of husbands and wives are more like donkeys than they are horses. Now, praise God if God could use Balaam's donkey, he can use you and me today. He can use Johnny back there. And praise God for that. But you think about this, it's much easier to conquer and sub, to subdue an enemy who attacks us than to restore and to forgive a brother. Psalms talks about that, chapter number 55, verse number 12. For it, was an, for, if it, for it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have bore it. Neither was it he that hated me, that did magnify himself against me, that I would have hid myself from him, verse number 13, but it was thou, a man my equal, my guide, and my acquaintance. We took sweet fellowship together and walked into the house of God in company. And what the psalmist is saying here is, if it was an enemy that did this to me, I could take it. But this is my friend. This is the, we took fellow. we went to church together. We, our kids played sports together. We were. You're the one. And I can't take it what the psalmist is saying right here it's much easier to deal with an enemy than with someone you know and love we see in verse 1 through 5 some complaints that Nehemiah heard in the midst of a great work for a great God the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jewish brothers this was not just a little disagreement this was not a minor problem This was a big deal, what was taking place. Let me explain to you what was taking place here. There's four different groups of people mentioned from verse 1, or verse number 2 through verse number 5. Let me explain these four types of people, and you'll see why three of those groups were pretty upset with the fourth group. The first first group of people we see here were people who owned no land but needed food. Verse number 2. For there were that said... We, are sons, and our daughters are many. Therefore, we take up corn for them that we may eat and live. These folks here, you think about them, the population was increasing. Families were growing. You know, there was a famine in the land. The people were hungry. And they were working so hard that they didn't have time, they didn't have the food that they needed for their families. And you know, as kids get older, man, my kids just recently, you know, Caroline, the meals that she's been making, it's like she's got to make, you know, it used to be a pound of hamburger lasted for a meal for us. A pound of hamburger does nothing anymore. These kids The other night we ate a meal and uh, it's a Pattison recipe. It's called breaded steak. It's a, great, I love, it's a great meal. Not good for a diet, but I've been doing alright. I've been eating a little bit better and I've lost 10 pounds again, so go figure. I don't understand it and we'll just leave that there. Yeah, but Anyway, so made this meal and normally I'm the one who eats the most of it. William ate more than I did. Alyssa ate more than I did. And David ate more than I did. Kids start growing, they eat more. And I guess I am eating less. I guess that probably helps too. But this, the first group of people, they didn't own houses, but they needed food for their families. There was a famine there. The second group of people, we see in verse number three, some also that were there said, we have mortgaged our lands, vineyards, and houses that we might buy corn because of the dearth. So the first group of people, they, you see here that they owned no land, but they needed food. The second group here, they owned land, but they had to put out a second mortgage so that they could buy food. Because there was not a lot of resources, there was not a lot of food for them, and so prices went up. And so as prices went up, they mortgaged their house to get food. The third group of people, you see in verse number 4, and there were also that said, we have borrowed money for the king's tribute and that our lands, and that upon our lands and vineyards. The third group of people didn't like the taxes. They're charging us too much taxes. And because of the taxes, we had to borrow money on our houses as well. So you had three groups of people mentioned so far. The first part of the Jews didn't have any land and they just wanted money to buy food for their families. Second group... They own land, but they had to mortgage their land to get money to get food. The third group had to pay their taxes, and when they paid their taxes, they didn't have enough for food, so they had, so they had to do the same thing. you got a fourth group of people who took advantage of all of that. Look at verse number 5. It says, Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children and lo we bring into bondage our sons and our daughters to be servants and some of our daughters are brought into bondage already neither is it in our power to redeem them for other men have our lands and vineyards the fourth group here they were exploiting this the wealthy were making loans with extremely high interest rates and taking the land and the people's children as collateral. These were brethren. They were supposed to help one another through this time, but they were exploiting one another. You know, you think about, you go to a rent-to-own store. I can can rent-to-own this TV 30 bucks a month, and in three years I'll pay it off. Where you could go to the Walmart and buy the same TV for $400. Where do those rent-to-own places get all their money? because in three years you're going to be paying almost $1,200. Or a little bit more. They exploit you. You see the signs that say, bad credit, we'll get you a car loan. Yeah, they'll get you a car loan at a 20% interest rate. And they make more off of it. Israel's hurting. The people are hurting. The famine in the land. And you got some wealthy people, instead of helping and doing what they could you have them exploiting things now one of the things i want you to remember is this god's not against someone loaning someone money and charging them interest on that's not god doesn't have a problem with that god is against you robbing people that's what was taking place here book of deuteronomy even talks about chapter 23 verse 19 and 20 it says thou shalt not lend upon usury to thy brother usury of money usury of victuals, usury of anything that is lent upon usury Unto a stranger thou mayest lend upon usury. Unto thy brother thou shalt not lend with usury. And what God's saying is, you can, you can give, but don't put interest. Let people pay you back. But if it's your brother here, don't do that to them. That was the law for the Jews here. If, uh, if a Samaritan or another group, if Sam Ballot wants some money, sure, charge him some interest. But your fellow brethren, don't do that. That was God's plan. So Nehemiah heard the complaints. He had one group that just needed food. He had another group that um, mortgaged their land so they could get food. He had another group that mortgaged their land because they needed to pay their taxes. He had one group who had all the money that was exploiting everything. Look at Nehemiah's response in verse number six. And I was very angry when I heard their cry and these words. I love that right there. He got upset. Nehemiah wasn't happy. Now, Nehemiah wasn't angry because he had been wronged. This was righteous anger. The Bible talks about, you know, there's a difference between anger that's not okay and anger that is okay. you realize that? The Bible does say to be angry and sin not. There is anger that is okay. And there's anger that is not Okay. We'll give you Moses as a great example. Moses got angry when he came down and saw the people worshiping the golden calf, right? Righteous anger. Well, Moses had other times let his anger get to him in the wrong way. And that was not righteous anger. Righteous anger is when you get mad about something that you should, as a Christian, stand up for. Righteous anger. A governor tells you not to sing praise to God. That's righteous anger. Someone asks you to wear a mask in their business. That's not righteous anger. You wear the mask. Say, but I don't like it. Wear the mask. Wear the mask. mask. That's not a righteous thing. Now, I just got some of you stirred up right there. (laughs) Pastor, I'm not happy right now. Does the Bible say anywhere, thou shalt not wear a mask? (laughs) Biblical worldview, right? When I go into a business and I go in somewhere, I wear a mask. Do I like it? No. No. Especially if i have just eaten food. My breath, it's just not a good mix. I need more mints with me to do that, you know? And all that. But there's righteous anger and there's not righteous anger. There are things that about and things not to. And where you draw that line, you and God figure it out, Peter, okay? And you, just, you can let you and God figure that out and go from there. And if that, and if it's against your religion, then you do what God tells you to do. Make sure you do what he says. But I love this. When he got angry, look at what happens. Look at verse number seven. Then I consulted with myself. So he's talking to himself. All right, let's be honest this morning. How many of you ever talk to yourself? Okay, real question right here. How many of you answer back to yourself? Yep, that's what I was waiting to hear. Thank you for those of you who are honest. And lying is sin, just so you know. So those of you who didn't raise your hand and do it, God will deal with you later on in that area. Well, Nehemiah got angry, verse 7 says he took time to consult with himself, to ponder with himself before he addressed the situation. That phrase literally means his heart consulted within himself. Instead of going off and being upset, in the moment he paused he took a time out he took a deep breath before he acted how many of us we get upset and we just draw shoot at the hip let it go no we just need to breathe relax this had to be dealt with serious things going on. We'll talk about that at the end of the message here. But we saw the complaints that he heard. Number two, we see the steps that Nehemiah took. The steps that he took. The Bible tells us Proverbs 16, Proverbs 16.32 He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he that rules his spirit than he that taketh the city. After thinking things over, Nehemiah did a few things. I want to give you the steps and things that Nehemiah took going forward the first thing he did he appealed to their love in verse number seven he appealed to their love look at verse seven and i consulted with myself and i rebuked the nobles and the rulers and said to them ye exact usury every one of his brother and i set a great assembly against them nehemiah reminded them you're robbing your own brother here we're supposed to love one another you're not doing this to our enemy on the outside You're doing this to your own flesh and blood, your own brother. Four times in the speech from Nehemiah, he mentions brother. The Bible tells us Psalms 133, verse number 1, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And we see that as he gets started here, Nehemiah tells them he appeals to their love. You're supposed to love one another. You're, You're brothers. Get along. What a great plea for the church today. Hey, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Just get along. Be nice to one another. Love one another. And yeah, you might not like so-and-so. You might not like how they do this or what they do here. But still love your, your family. You belong with one another. You're God's children. We see so much fighting in Christianity today. Oh, you didn't sing a song the way I like you to sing it, so your church is... And you can go through this list. We're like those donkeys kicking at each other. And we laugh at that, but that's what we do. Our enemy's not the church down the street. You know who our enemy is? It's Satan. And he's still real, even if only 20 percent of people think he's real. He's the problem today. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. My battle today is not with our governor. Not with anyone in political power today. You know where our battle is today? It's against Satan. It's against the forces of evil today. That's where our fight is. And we see that Nehemiah is like, what are you guys doing? We're supposed to love one another. It's the second commandment, right? It is. Second thing we see, letter B, we see he reminded them of God's redemptive purpose. Verse number 8. He gathered a group of people together and verse number 8 says and I said to them we after our ability have redeemed our brethren the Jews which were sold into the heathen and will ye even sell your brethren or shall they be sold unto us then held they their peace and found nothing to answer you know when you ever catch your kid and they're guilty of something and they just got nothing to say that's how these <laughs> Jews were at this point Nehemiah reminded them here he's like don't you remember what the Lord did? He brought us out of Egypt and freed us from being slaves. He brought us from Babylon, and we're no longer slaves in Babylon, and now you are forcing your, your own brothers to be slaves again. That's not what God had intended for us. I'm not here for this to happen. I'm here to rebuild the wall and do the work of God. Let her see. We see his appeal was based on the Word of God. Verse number 9, it says, Also I said, it is not good that ye do. Ought ye not to walk in the fear of God because of the reproach of the heathen or enemy? And I know that's King James verbiage for you, and you might be like, it is not good that ye do. What is he saying? What you're doing is not right. You shouldn't be doing that. God's Word is not for you to do this. Don't do it. Do what's right. You're going against what God's called you to do. Letter D. They need to be reminded, they need to remember their witness. Then in verse number 9 there tells us, because of the reproach of the heathen our enemy. Do you realize something? Israel was to be a light to the nations around them. As they were fighting and striving with one another, and as all these things were happening, they were to walk in the fear of God, to be a light to those around them. But when their relationship wasn't right with God, they weren't able to make a positive impact with those around them. We cannot be what God wants us to be. It just doesn't work. I think that's why Jesus prayed that his followers would be as one. In John 17. I think that's why Jesus said, This shall all men know that you're my disciples. If you wear a suit and carry a King James Bible, no, 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 no. If you do this or that, no, if you love one another. When you walk into a church and everyone's fighting with one another, it looks like you're at the House or the Senate. That's not what the church is supposed to look like. We're not a bunch of Democrats and Republicans here. We're children of God in his house. And we need to act like it. We should have respect for God in his house. We should get along with one another. This world needs to see that. See letter E. He appealed to his own actions. Look at what he did. I love this. I love that Nehemiah was not a guy that said, hey, do as I say, not as I do. Just do it the way I tell you to. And parents, let me just give you a little plug. Shame on you if you do that with your kids. You are supposed to be an example to them of what's right. And you put them in church, you have them around the things of God, and then you live your life like the devil and expect them to do what's right. Shame on you. That's my plug there. Nehemiah did what was right. Look at verse 10 and 11. I likewise and my brethren and my servants might exact of them money and corn, I pray you, let us leave off this usury. Restore, I pray you, to them, even this day, their lands, their vineyards, their olive yards all yards and their houses and their hundred part of the money and of the corn and wine and the oil that ye exact of them. Nehemiah, do you know what I said right here? I've given money, but I'm not going to charge interest. Give them back what you've taken from them. They've been having a hard time. Give it back. It wasn't your job. You have all you need and you're being greedy and taking advantage of these people but he led by example. Letter F. Finally, he appealed to the judgment of God. And I love this in verse number 12 and verse 13. I love that the people had a soft heart towards the things of God. Look at verse 12. Then said they, we will restore them and will require nothing of them. So we will do as thou sayest. I love that. Great attitude by the people. Hey, we're going to do what's right. They were confronted with the situation. They said, we're going to do what's right. Then and it says, then, I, then look at what Nehemiah does. Then I called the priests and took an oath. Of them. He made them make an oath that they would follow through and do what they said. And uh, it says, and take an oath of them that they should do according to this promise. Also I shook my lap and said, so God shake out every man from his house and from his labor that performeth not his, this promise. Even thus shall it be shaken out and emptied. And all the congregation said amen and praised the Lord and the people did according to the promise. We see he appealed to the judgment of God, and I love how they answered it. Nehemiah has them make an oath. The Bible says he shook his lap. What does that mean? He shook out the folds of his robe, which symbolized what God would do to them if they um, broke the vow. But look at what happens. Now, this is so good. And get this. And uh, we're, we're getting... We're getting we're getting along. You still see in your notes, we still got a few things, but it's good stuff. We need this stuff about um, how to handle strife. The beginning of the chapter, the people were mad and they problems with the people. Nehemiah gets upset about it. He, he, talk, he talks to himself about it. He deals with the problem. And by the middle of chapter five here, how is it handled? The people say amen, so be it, and they praise God move forward a biblical way to handle strife strife must end in god being praised and glorified that's what we see right here in this passage of scripture and so i'm going to give you point number three and then i'm going to give you some practical tips and then we'll be on our way point number three the end of the chapter we see the example that nehemiah set Let's read the last few verses of the chapter. Nehemiah is one of my, and I say, I know I say often, there's so many, I, I just love that person in the Bible, and I love that person. I, Nehemiah, I really do. As a pastor, Nehemiah is one of my greatest examples that I try to follow. I've mentioned before, if I ever wrote a book, which I will not, but if I ever did, I would write a book about leadership Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a great example of leadership. And, uh, but don't worry, I'm never going to write a book. That's probably never going to happen it'll be a coloring book and so <laughs> I, I can probably do that I'll just do a little coloring book here Here, leadership you know when you're mad just sit down and color before you go deal with it that's a good idea a Nehemiah coloring book so any of you artists in here want to help me with that we can start pastor's coloring book his first book coloring book um, look at verse 14 moreover from the time that I was appointed to be governor this is Nehemiah speaking in the land of Judah the twentieth year, even unto the two and thirtieth year of Artaxerxes the king, that is, twelve years, I and my brethren have not eaten the bread of the governor. But the former governors that had been before me were chargeable unto the people, and had taken of them bread and wine, besides forty shekels of silver, yea, their servants bear rule over the people, but so did not I, because of the fear of God. Yea, also I continued in the work of this wall, neither brought we any land, And all my servants were gathered thither unto the work. Moreover there were at my table an hundred and fifty of the Jews and rulers besides those that came unto us from among the heathen that are about us. And now which are prepared for me daily was one ox and six choice sheep. Also fowls were prepared for me and once in the ten days store of all sorts of wine. Yet for all this required not I the bread of the governor because the bondage was heavy upon this people think upon me, my God, for good according to all that I have done for this people. Now as Nehemiah, I love how Nehemiah, the people get right, they praise God and Nehemiah just talks to God a little bit. One of the things you see over and over again and one of the things I think that makes a great leader is his ability just to pray. I think prayer is the key. And Nehemiah, what he says here, the example they set forth, he was the governor. He said other governors got what they wanted they ate what they wanted to eat their servants had what they wanted they were a burden to the people and nehemiah's like i couldn't do that i love god i fear god i see the people are having a hard time and i'm not going to burden them more what a great example that nehemiah set for those around him before thinking about how he could make a profit He considered what was pleasing to God. That's a great example for us to follow. That's important in all areas of life. The husband and wife relationship, it's not about what you get. It's about what you can do for the other one. I love this example. I think in churches today, we need to see more of it in our pastors. You see, Nehemiah, he loved the people. And he loved God. That was evident. And make sure, the church you go to, most of you, this is your church, and that's great, wonderful. Make sure your pastor is a good example of those things. And there might come a time where you need to set your pastor straight a little bit about being a better example. and Set the example he should. But what? <laughs> Make the coloring book. But when I say that, I want you to understand. And I'm trying to think of what I was going to say. I've lost my thought. I'm, I'm back. I'm back to a coloring book right now. And and markers and colors and I I never like coloring either. So it's probably be worse on me to write a coloring book than a book. But yeah, pastors should be. But A lot aren't. And a lot of pastors might start out where they're all about their people. But a lot of times it turns into them and what they get. And it never should be that way. And if it ever gets that way in any way here, we need to make sure it doesn't. A pastor's job is to love God and to love people. And not be building his own kingdom. That's what Nehemiah was big on here. He wasn't building the kingdom of Nehemiah. He was building the kingdom of God and building the kingdom of people. He was building of God and building the people. He wasn't building himself. And far too many men of God missed that. And I pray that that never is the case in this place. But I love the example that he set. Um, let me give you some principles to think about, and we'll be done, all right? And then what time is it? Oh, it's only it's only 11. We're doing fine all right here we go let's get these principles out and then we'll be on our way and uh, some principles from this passage first one is this there's a direct correlation between the effectiveness of our mission and how we treat each other you say pastor what do you mean by that we must be the church before we can build the church does that make sense We must love one another before we love those on the outside. It begins in here. There's a direct correlation between our effectiveness. We cannot be effective ministers for the Lord if we are not treating each other right. That's the key. It's important. Number two, relational problems are inevitable, and we cannot ignore them. They're going to happen. I know Don Lemon said earlier, and I can't believe I played CNN and The View inside of church. God, I'm so sorry for doing that earlier this morning. But Don Lemon said this last week that Jesus Christ was not, he was not perfect. That was his exact statement. And uh, I'm going to fix that. Jesus was perfect and is perfect. Amen. But every single one of us is not. we It doesn't matter, husband and wife, Boston and Boston workers, pastor, church member—all these, every different relationship around. There's always going to be a problem. At some point, it's going to happen. It's not if, it's when. It's going to happen. It's in, why? Because we're all sinners. We're all flawed. And you're thinking, well, I know my spouse is, but not me. I'm perfect. <laughs> and uh, you're the—that's you, called pride, and that's a big issue too. But they're gonna come. You can't ignore the problem. You know what Nehemiah could have done? Okay, you got these people here that need food. You got these people that have given up their land and mortgaged it. You've got those who mortgaged their stuff to get to pay their taxes. You got these people taking advantage of all of it. I'm just gonna do nothing. Let them figure it out. Would the problem have gone away? It would have gotten worse. Re- relationship problems are inevitable. They're going to happen. And you cannot ignore them. If you ignore them, you'll pay a deeper price. Because they will go underground, get deep roots, and bitterness will root when you ignore the problem. Someone said it like this The first price you pay is always the cheapest when it comes to relationship problems. Because the longer you let it go, it just doesn't magically go away. It must be dealt with. Number three, we must take the initiative to restore relationships whether we want to or not. Don't wait for the other person to come to you. You go to them say, well, what if they're the ones who hurt me? Are you ready? i got two answers for you, because I know everyone's got some thoughts in their heads, so my two answers is this. If you've been hurt, go talk to the person about it, as Jesus commanded in Matthew 18. If you've hurt someone else, go and confess it, as Jesus told you to do in Matthew chapter number 5. So either way, go initiate it. You're covered either way. So some thoughts, some principles to think on. There's a direct correlation between the effectiveness of our mission and how we treat others. Relational problems are inevitable and we can't ignore them. We must take initiative to restore relationships whether we want to or not. Number four, God's reputation is at stake when we have conflict. Take your Bibles with me. I want you to look at this verse. John chapter 17. John 17 verse 23. What says? John 17 verse 23. I in them and thou in me. That they may be perfect in one and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. What did Jesus pray? Oh, the verse is up there. Johnny didn't put that up last service for me, so it's okay, Johnny. Thank, thanks a lot. I thought Jay messed it up or I didn't give it to Jay, but it was Johnny, Johnny, you messed up a lot today, your first day back. You're going to be here six weeks just getting good at this thing again, and then you're going to leave all over again and do that to me. But Jesus prayed that the lost people would know God's heart of love when he saw it in his own people. That's what he wants. I in them, him in us, God in Jesus, that they may know, that they may be perfect, mature, complete in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them. How is everyone going to know that Jesus is real today? By the way, the church gets along. Why do people doubt Jesus is real? Because of us. you can think about that one for a little bit four thoughts to finish this morning four actions to take to help get rid of strife are you ready? number one and I'm jumping ahead I skipped some things just to get us out of here make sure it's a moral issue this is takeaways from Nehemiah chapter number five some application make sure it's a moral issue Nehemiah was very angry because of the injustice he saw in verse 6. If you've been wronged or sinned against, your anger is justified. If you're ticked off at someone just because they've done something that you don't like or not the way they do it, that's not a moral issue. Then cut them some slack and give them grace. Make sure it's a moral issue. Number two, think before speaking. If you've been sinned against, take some time to ponder what was done and how you feel about it. Think before you speak. Most people sitting in this room need to remember this one right here. Husbands and wives, you need to remember this one right here. Because your spouse gets you angry and you just just let go. Think. Think before speaking you can't take back words you can't and I know that old saying sticks and stones may break my bones but words will never hurt me whoever said that's a liar because sticks sticks and stones can hurt some I get it and I don't want anybody throwing sticks or rocks at me or Johnny having that stick get him in the nose yesterday or whatever happened outside but I know those hurt and things but words stick A long time and words hurt. Think before you speak. I love how Nehemiah took time to stop and to think before he reacted. Then number three, meet face-to-face. Don't use FaceTime. Don't use social media. You know, that's another thing. Don't use Facebook to air out your grievances with everyone else. Oh, I'm mad at this person, so I'm going to use Facebook to... Shut up. Don't... Stop typing, not shut up, just stop typing. Don't deal with your stuff on social media. Meet a person face-to-face. But pastor, we're not supposed to meet people right now. Then keep your six feet away from them, okay? <laughs> I'll just send a text message and it will fix it. No, it won't. We've gotten to this day and age where, where we're where media crazed and electronic crazed. Meet them face to face. Nehemiah dealt with this head on. He got a whole group of people together and sat down and took care of the problem. Make sure it's a moral issue. Think before you speak. Meet face to face. And seek resolution. Our goal in stopping strife or confronting conflict should always be resolution and restoration of the relationship. But this is what happens I want to meet with so-and-so. We need to meet face-to-face so I can show you how you are wrong. And I, several people laughed when I just said that because we know that's true. That's how we do it. You don't want to get together. You want someone to understand why, how they hurt you. That's not why we resolve conflict. We resolve conflict to restore relationships. When you are concerned about yourself and how you feel and getting people to understand what you feel, do you know what that's called? It's called pride. And when pride comes into the picture of trying to restore a relationship, only by pride cometh contention. It's not going to stop. There's going to be more contention, more issues, and more issues. Why? Because pride's involved. What we need, we need to seek resolution. We must do it in a godly way to restore the relationship. Woodrow Wilson once said this, If you come at me with your fist doubled, I think I can promise you that mine will double as fast as yours. But if you come to me and say, Let us sit down and take counsel together, and if we differ from one another, we'll find that we are not so far apart after all, and that points on which we differ are few, and the points on which we agree are many, and that if we have patience and candor and desire to get together, we will. In, in an old monastery in Germany, I'm told you can see two racks of ancient deer antlers permanently interlocked. Apparently, the animals were in a fierce fight with one another, and their horns became so entangled that they couldn't disengage, and they both died of hunger. Are you tangled up with someone this morning? Are you against someone today? Is it your spouse? Is it the fellow church member? Is it your children? Is it your boss? Let's deal with it. Let's not just let it go. Let's follow the steps that Nehemiah taught us today. And let's get bigger than that. You put the strife off and you don't deal with it. Oh, it's fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah. You keep telling yourself that. And you keep telling yourself that. I'm fine! You're not. Follow the biblical steps. If it's a moral issue, deal with it. Think before you speak. Meet face to face. And seek resolution. We'll never be what God's called us to be. If we don't deal with the strife. Your home will never be what God's called it to be if you have strife in your home. Our church will never be able to do what God's called us to do if we're fighting one another. There's too much going on outside that we we need to focus on the Lord and focus on doing his work. That's what we got to focus on today. Let's seek those things. Father, we love you. thank you for your love for us and thank you for this passage of scripture that we can study and read and see these wonderful truths that are before us. Father, help us in these areas. Help us live for you. Help us be the Christians that you've called us to be, and help us to get along. Father, I pray that you bless the last few minutes that we have together. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed.